Are you taking a reactive or proactive approach to your taxes? Do you wait until the year is over and hope for the best when tax time comes around? Is your business taking accurate tax deductions and receiving all the tax credits you deserve? Welcome to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge. Today, we will answer these questions and many more. So sharpen your pencil and take some notes. Now, here is your host, Marcelino Dodge. Good day and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge up to show number 50 now as we really appreciate having an audience around the world. Yes, throughout North America, Europe, and even over into China. It is a really fabulous ride. We truly appreciate how you listen to us, whether it be through iHeart, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify. Also, if you like to pay attention or watch us on Facebook Live right now, we appreciate that as well. And then, of course, this video is also posted later on on my Facebook page, Cash Tracks Financial. Certainly encourage you to visit uh, visit my channel and, of course, uh, click like and subscribe as we have a lot of excellent informational videos there for you regarding taxes and uh, general business information that can really help you to succeed. And certainly all are invited to uh, give me a call on what we discuss on this program because, as I mentioned in the opening there, we really want you to have uh, advanced information. We want you to plan properly for your taxes. This is whether you're an individual or a business. And so we can schedule a mutual exploration session just to examine to see if our services, our year-round services, our tax planning, will that work for you? Will it work for your business to pay as little tax as possible? Because when we really look at the big picture, we need to do that, especially with all the craziness going on, the potential increase in taxes coming with the plans being debated in Washington, D.C. So it's more important than ever that you get someone on your side. And just to keep in mind that as an enrolled agent, I can help you no matter where you live in the 50 states, uh, as I do have clients across the country, and I really enjoy helping them. I enjoy having video conferences with them and enjoy answering questions like we're going to focus on today. But keep in mind all the ways you can reach me, success at cashtracksfinancial.com, or give us a call, of course, 844-394-394. 4287. And also, if you haven't been to my new website yet, I just did a complete rework of the website, cashtracksfinancial.com. It is just a marvel of creativity. It looks great, has our videos on there, has a lot of great information for you to be able to easily access and just see how in-depth the knowledge that we are here at Cash Tracks Financial and how much we want to help you, how much I want to help you. So please visit, once again, that's cashtracksfinancial.com. You can schedule your uh, mutual exploration session so that we can get together and see how you can put me to work for you to save on taxes and work to be successful in business or even help to save on retirement as well. Got to keep looking at that as well as maximizing some other areas that you got to keep in mind, which are some areas we're going to touch on today because it is so important as we do tax questions 2.0 and more today with the tax answers advisor, because you need to save on taxes. You need to be thinking about these things year around, which is why I am so passionate about this uh, program and passionate about helping you as the taxpayer to do it. Although some questions do come up like, 
what are the circumstances that you would even need to file a tax return? Well, under circumstances pre-pandemic, usually if you uh, did not have uh, enough income or enough taxable income or income that is subject to taxes, you usually don't need to file a tax return, which usually means if you're like on social security, uh, usually you have no need to file, but because of some pandemic programs, tax returns that had no filing tax no tax filing requirement because they need to needed to file to get the uh, stimulus payments especially stimulus payments on uh, for dependents that they were raising because they hadn't been filing so uh, they wouldn't the government wouldn't know that they needed to send a uh, economic impact payment which is also what they're known as uh, for a certain child so it's very important to be able to know these things now other circumstances to file, of course, if you have wages, interest, dividends, retirement income, you're taking IRA distributions, capital gains on sales of property, business income, of course, uh, from self-employment income and business income can also include uh, flow through income that you get from like an investment in a partnership or maybe you're a shareholder in an S corporation. All of these can trigger for you having to file a tax return. Uh, sale of business property in business, then you sell something. Of course, that you usually will be filing as well. Rental income, you're renting out a house, uh, renting out a room in your house, like through Airbnb or one of those uh, uh, apps that allow you to do rentals. All of that can as well make you have to file taxes. And on the rental side, we're going to probably talk about that again in another program just to get a little bit more on that because there's a lot of issues that come up with rental income because it's not as as simple as it used to be, because it can actually be conducted as a business and many people are actually conducting as a business. Royalties like from gas and oil or other sources, those can often trigger uh, income. Farm, you a farmer? Also, if you got unemployment a lot through 2021, uh, you could as well have a tax filing requirement. Of course, we know last year for 2020, they excluded uh, 10,000 plus, uh, a little over 10,000 of uh, Unemployment income for tax purposes, but if you receive more above, more above that threshold, then you, of course, had to claim that those as taxes. But some states like Colorado still had to pay tax on that. So you got to keep in mind the state area as well. What's your state rules in regards to that? Then, of course, if you have that big payoff at the uh, casino, they give you that little thing called the W2G. You're going to have taxable income there as well. And there's so many other areas that this is just a very kind of broad, uh, generalized kind of deal for you, but still there's a lot of areas and that's why uh, I have these sessions available because it's important to sit down and discuss these things with a tax professional because, so you know, okay, am I going to have tax if I do this business? What's my tax going to be like if I take this job? It's important to have a tax person in your corner, which is what I am here for. And well, as when, once again, I mentioned, if you're on social security and taking like IRA distributions, you still may not have to file a tax return because you just need to stay below a filing threshold. And that varies according to your filing status, whether you're single, married, filing joint, head of household. All of those are, are considerations as to whether you have a filing threshold, which is why it's important to, to, talk, to talk to me about these uh, areas. That way, you know, okay, can I plan this? Can I not plan this? What can I do? Also, if you have no self-employment tax due, then of course you may not have a filing requirement. But if you do have a small business uh, and you do have more than $400 in actual net income, 
you do have uh, have to file just to pay self-employment tax. Now, I'm going to talk more about self-employment tax a little bit later because that's an often overlooked uh, tax and something that many people don't realize that they really should be paying. And this is where many tax preparers really make an error as far as I am concerned. And to me, there's a huge difference. I've mentioned this before, is that there's a huge difference between a tax preparer and a tax professional. What's the difference? Well, I'm just going to go over a little bit right now. A tax preparer is someone who just enters information and gives you whatever the result is. They don't make suggestions. They don't help you to plan. They're just, it's just like, here goes in, here it comes out. They don't really, at least in my fee, in my feeling, they don't really serve. They don't really help you as a taxpayer or the business owner to do better. They just take your numbers and do it. That's not what I do, and that's not what a real tax professional does. A tax professional will take your numbers and evaluate them, not just put them in, but say, uh, Mr. Business Owner, by the way, if you do this, uh, this can help reduce your tax, or if you move or maybe this item is miscategorized, then we need to move it over here. Or especially a tax professional will say, uh, you, bought, you bought what? During the year, you bought this big piece of equipment. Well, we can't put it here. We got to put it over to here. And this is how we do it. And then these are the options, especially with depreciation. I'm talking about depreciation a little bit later as well, because some preparers will just write everything off. And is that in the best interest of the client? I don't think so. But let me go to another question here that gets asked often. And so I want to address it a little bit here. There's a question that comes up about what are some likely causes for audit or what are some red flags? Well, there's an unknown with the IRS in regards to how they do audits and the fact they got this uh, like really scoring system that they do on every tax return. And there are areas that, at least in my feeling, can generate uh, more uh, more likely an audit, even though uh, especially corporations have a 1% uh, audit rate. Now, sole proprietorships uh, over 500,000 uh, have like a 5% audit rate. So they're, they're higher. So if you're a sole proprietor, your audit rate is actually higher than if you were a corporation. So it might be a consideration in it, but it's not the only reason why you become a corporation or an entity, but it is, it is something to think about. Now, one area that I have seen that can cause a red flag is if you are an S corporation and you're the, like the sole owner or the sole shareholder of the S corporation or one of two shareholders, and you're not taking a, uh, a salary, you're not taking reasonable compensation for your position, but you're taking distributions of profit from your S corporation. That can trigger an audit and I've seen it happen. I've read court cases and I've read information and summaries about individuals who have an S corporation and they take a low salary, but they take these huge distributions. Now, if you're a manager or president of a company, you need to be taking a reasonable salary. And some take it, well, I don't want to pay that much in the, the social security tax. I want to save those taxes. Well, that sounds like a good idea, but it's really not. And see, if you're doing that, you're also hurting yourself if you're doing that, because if you're taking too low of a salary, you could be hurting your social security benefits 
for down the road because you've been taking such a low salary. And so if you're a business owner that's been taking a low salary in your S Corp, you need to readjust that. And if your tax person you're working with hasn't brought this to your attention, then uh, to me, uh, they're lacking because I don't let my clients do that. If you're going to be my client and you're an S Corp, you're going to take a salary. It's just that simple because I'm going to do my best to protect you from getting audited. But that, and so, and I don't want that to happen. So you need to take a reasonable salary for your position in the company, especially if you're managing the company, your salary needs to be higher than your employees. That can trigger an audit. And I've seen that happen in this corpse. So we're an unreasonably low salary, but yet high distributions. And there's cases that have gone to the U.S. tax court where tax court has said, you didn't take a reasonable salary. IRS is right on this. Another area that I see that can uh, do a red flag is uh, auto expenses. Excessively high auto expenses, especially if you take a lot, a lot of mileage on a tax return, that can possibly trigger an audit. Now, this is why when I constantly talk to people when they're using their vehicles and business, I say, you absolutely need to keep a mileage log. Gas receipts are simply not enough. Receipts of your repairs, receipts of your tire purchases are simply not enough. You've got to be able to prove the business usage of that vehicle. And so that is an area too. If your auto expenses are excessively high, uh, that can trigger an audit as well. Now, another error I have seen when it comes to perhaps audits and examinations by the IRS is when individuals who don't know how to do truck drivers, over-the-road truck drivers or local truck drivers, and they put all of those expenses under auto, that can also trigger an examination. So, that's why I work with several truck drivers in the area myself, and we make sure we do each of those expenses correctly so that they don't experience those problems. Because once again, our whole issue here in working with you is to keep you ahead of any potential problems, keeping the tax return in a way so that it is accurate and so that you do not have to deal with these issues that come up that so many other people deal with because either they've just done a tax preparer who just takes their numbers and says, hey, this is fine, we can do this, or they've done it themselves on do-it-yourself software. And frankly, I've seen some do-it-yourself software tax returns, and I am scared for those people. Hopefully, the three-year statute passes because uh, for them before they get an audit letter because I'm afraid for them in the case of an audit from what I've seen. Now, some come sometimes one will ask, what about an excise tax? Well, Excise taxes are like specialty taxes. At least that's what I term them as because they hit it in various areas like uh, indoor tanning. An excise tax was added for that back in uh, when the Affordable Care Act was passed. Plus, there's excise taxes on things like pension plans, fuel that you buy at the gas pump. We don't see it when we buy it, but the uh, producers uh, pay it. Uh, there's uh, distilled uh, spirits, which is basically your alcohol, wine, and beer. There's uh, taxes specifically on those that people deal with if they're in those particular types of businesses. There is one type of excise tax that I do deal with on a regular basis, and that's uh, for, for the truck drivers, the uh, over-the-road or, or local truck drivers, heavy truck drivers. 
And that's what's called heavy use tax. And each year we file that form for them to help them to be able to get their registrations for their truck so that they can just keep it going down the road. There's also various other taxes, but I don't deal much with excise tax. There's a lot of other other different forms that can take. So depending on your on your need and what you need to do, we can definitely help to research those if you need those, or uh, we can definitely find someone who can. There's a, some websites that, uh, and a website that I that I use especially to be able to file that that form that is really good. Also, we have another one here. It mentions about what is considered a write-off for meals and entertainment, business dinners, what can you take? Well, since the Tax Cut and Jobs Act was passed at the end of 2017. Entertainment is not considered a deductible expense for, uh, for businesses. Well, what do we mean by entertainment? Well, that's, of course, uh, being a guest like social clubs, sporting events, like those boxes that corporations will buy at uh, the big stadiums or, or in the arenas for like the professional sports. Though the entertainment portion of those is not considered a deductible expense or the theater tickets, hunting and fishing trips, those themselves are not considered deductions because they're considered entertainment. Now, a portion of those, if there's a meal involved, could be expense, could be used as a business expense, but it has to be distinguished and has to be separated on the invoice there. At least for my purposes, it would need to be that way just to make sure that once again, you as a taxpayer is covered. Now, if you're a business owner and you have business meals that you're taking, well, these can be 100% deductible for 2021 and 2022. And for, especially if you're a sole proprietor or, or a farmer, usually you must be traveling for business and it usually needs to be overnight as well. I mean, I have some individuals who will travel to go look at cattle uh, potentially for for bulls that they're gonna gonna potentially buy to keep their herds up, or others who travel for for various other business reasons, overnight lodging for perhaps training. Those business meals are 100% deductible. Now, if you provide also meals to a client, you take take a client out to a local restaurant, a thank you dinner, saying, "Hey, we appreciate to having you as a client," or you're taking care of your employees, you take them out to the restaurant or give them some nice uh, nice dinner. That's also actually 100% deductible for this year. If you do a meal for advertising purposes, that can be 100% deductible. So what it kind of comes down to when it, with meals is that you must have receipts, once again, in these particular cases, uh, for it to be 100% deductible. Now, and I stress this because there is a per diem available, but from the research that I have done so far, it looks like you're better off if you can have the receipts and be able to take the 100% deduction and not the per diem. Accrued income. What is accrued income? Well, when I discuss this with individuals, I'm asking, why are you even asking me about accrued income? Because that must mean that you're using the accrual counting method. Accounting method. That's what it relates back to if you're talking about accrued income. Now, the majority of people that I work with, we don't use accrual-based accounting. We use cash-based accounting because uh, Tax Cut and Jobs Act basically said businesses, if you do $25 million or less, you can use cash basis. So uh, there's just a few exceptions on that, like for inventory and so on. 
usually accrued income is uh, basically when you bill, you, you get the job, you finish the work, and you bill your client for the job, but you haven't been paid yet. But that income from that invoice that you submitted them is added to your income for tax purposes. Uh, if you're on the accrual method, and that would be accrued income. And so, usually we we always work with clients on using cash basis so that they actually realize it as income to their business when they receive the cash payment, not when the invoice is sent. And accrued income also gets into areas uh, which you're talking about accounts payable, Usually a business will have accounts payable when they do that. And some businesses do that. They'll still have an accounts payable uh, where they'll bill people, but they don't consider the actual income on that on a ca- until cash basis so, to, or until they get the money. And so it's very interesting to consider there. So if you have, have a small business and your accounting system, which many of the accounting systems, especially do-it-yourself accounting systems, for whatever reason, I don't know why they got them set up that way. But I always have to remind my clients if they're doing their own accounting work, okay, you need to uh, do this for me. You need to change your system so that it says cash basis because you're a cash basis customer. You're not an accrual basis uh, tax tax client. That's not what you are for tax purposes. But so many of these do-it-yourself accounting softwares automatically and for whatever reason revert to accrual. And so I have to go in and always adjust and say, okay, we need to do this because we're not on a curl. We need a cash basis. And that gives us a good, good area of where the business is in. Now, another area to think about that comes up, deferred tax. What's deferred tax? Why would a company do this? Why would an individual try to defer tax? Well, it's a good little strategy. Why pay, why pay the tax if you can defer it into something else? And most commonly, we're common where you defer tax is in capital gains. That's where I most commonly see deferred tax. And currently it's under like-kind exchanges, which real estate primarily from the 2017, once again, Tax Cut and Jobs Act, which when it comes to real estate, you can do a like-kind exchange and sell one property and then take, take take that deferral and make sure you put it into a like-kind or another type of property so that you defer the payment of the taxes as well. Another area that allows you to defer some capital gains instead of paying them all in the year is if you do an installment agreement with someone, like you sell a property for a million dollars. You sell your business to, for a million dollars, and then what you do is that, say, those people give you like $200,000 down. Well, you're going to pay, of course, all the taxes on that 200000 but then you got 800000 left. And then you have a, have a period of like 10 years, for example, that they're going to pay you. Well, instead of paying all of the tax on the million-dollar sale or whatever the growth was on that, your percentage is, say, it's 50%. Uh, instead of paying tax on like $500,000 all in one year, well, you're going to pay tax on on a little bit of it each, on whatever's paid to you each year on the actual capital that's returned to you. Anyway, it's spread over time so that you don't have to pay as much tax as a lump sum. And in some areas, it can help to reduce the tax bracket. Uh, it can uh, maybe open up for some other 
options for you to be able to deduct certain things. So that's why some may want to try to defer taxes because it doesn't because when you do that, it doesn't just affect uh, that item, but it affects other items on the tax return. And so it's important to think about these things in tax planning purposes when you go and do these. Now, another item is where some are taking advantage of this, also created as a 2017 Tax Cut and Jobs Act, some will defer short-term and long-term capital gains uh, by electing to defer by investing in qualified opportunity zones. Now, again, before I get into too much detail on these, because these are a very complicated uh, discussion, I just mentioned that you need to speak to a tax professional about doing about this possibility and have them... Uh, get with you and talk to a person who knows about some qualified opportunity zones as well and where you can invest in those and defer that because it's once again an opportunity to defer that tax that you may have on, on a capital gain that you may want to set aside and how those work. But I'm not going to get into exactly how those work, but that's an opportunity that allows you to defer some tax. As well as sometimes what people will do to defer tax especially if you're a cash basis taxpayer, what you can do, and I see farmers do this, is that sometimes instead of getting their payments, especially in December, uh, you got like crops coming in or you got some expecting some large payments coming in, but they can make it have you an adverse tax effect on you because you already know, okay, well, I'm going to pay X amount of tax already this year, but this payment comes in. Now, what you got to make sure and do is make sure is, defer to not get those payments. Don't You cannot get a check and then say, well, I'm going to hold this till next year because I'm going to defer it. No. If you have physical possession of that check or those funds, it's in the year that you received it. So if you want to actually defer that income, you have to make sure that whoever owes you those funds or owes you that, that invoice or whatever, tell them, wait to pay me till after the first of the year. So I don't have the funds on hand on December 31st. That's another way you can actually defer tax uh, is by taking it in next year. Because from, for example, say if you got a $50,000 that's owed to you for, for a sale of something or sale of crops or sale of whatever, but you don't want to get that $50,000, well, this year, because you know you're going to end up paying a lot of tax, but you also know like next year, like in the 2022, you're going to have more expenses to offset that 50000 You can make sure and tell your client, oh, send me, put the check in the mail, like on January 1st or whatever. So I don't want to receive that until after the first of the year. That's a way you can defer it and be legal about it. But if you have the check in your hand, it's income for that year. So keep those few things in mind. Now, what is the difference here between profit and capital gain? Well, Profit, of course, is gross income, whatever your gross amount is you received in your business, minus all of your qualified expenses, which is a long list of those expenses that, that are there. And the profit, especially if you're a Schedule C, a sole proprietorship, or you're a farmer, or a partner, or an LLC member that's taxed as a partner, that, and that profit flows through to you you may end up paying some self-employment tax on that profit. So it's, that's, that's what profit basically involves. If you have profit in a C corporation, you as the individual isn't going to pay any tax. The corporation is actually going to pay the tax. So flow through profit 
from a partnership or your sole proprietorship or your farm that's after your expenses. Now, capital gains, though, we keep in mind that capital gains are either short-term or they're long-term. They're not subject to self-employment tax on the individual basis, which usually these arrive. There's a lot of areas that can generate self-employment tax, but the, I mean, these a lot of areas that can create capital gains for you. And this includes like sale of real estate, stocks, bonds, uh, some antiques. There's a lot of different things. And that, and once again, that's a whole broad subject in itself. Can't, can't, just can't go into, do, into it too deeply because it's just so complicated. Just like taxes are overall very complicated. And so I'm just giving some broad, broad explanations here so that uh, you can talk to a tax professional like myself and get more details on these and help to understand your particular situation. Because one thing, when it comes to taxes and one of the areas that really irritates me is that some tax people, and you see it advertised on TV or you hear it on the radio, they act like it's one size fits all, which as a professional doing this 20 plus years, it is not one size fits all. Everybody's situation is unique. And so that's why it's important to always, if you're looking at starting a business, starting going into business, it's important to talk to a tax person so that you set up that entity correctly and do it absolutely within the rules and the law so that you pay, once again, as little tax as possible. So let's take a look here. Oftentimes what happens, person is self-employed, they're a business owner, they wanna pay themselves uh, from their business account for personal expenses. Well, you know, this is, this is a big challenge. And why is this a challenge is because whether you're a sole proprietor or a corporation and you're the only shareholder of the corporation, the thinking is, I'm the owner, I can do whatever I want with this money. Well, in technical terms, yes, you are correct. You are the owner, you can do what you want with the money. However, there is a problem with that thinking at some levels. Now, you still need to, as a business owner, if you're a sole proprietorship, you have, you still need to have a separate account for the business. It is just absolutely essential. Everybody I work with, I tell them, as a sole proprietor, it is absolutely necessary that you have your account separate, and yet you pay your business expenses out of the business account. That way you can once still still have the separation. You're not required to by IRS code and rules. That's more, I would say, the Marcelino Dodge rule, at least for my clients, because it's absolutely essential that you do that. And I really, really strive to require all of my clients to do that just for business purposes and to be able to really understand where your business is. Now, when you are a sole proprietor and you want to pay yourself, well, it's pretty easy. You just got... You need to take $500 a week from your personal, from your business account to your personal account. That's fine. Now, keep in mind, though, that what you take as the business owner from the sole proprietorship business account is not a deduction. It's, it's, it's basically your income. Now, it's not necessarily going to reflect what the net profit of the business is at the end of the year but it is not 
a deduction for tax purposes what you pay yourself out of the partner of the sole proprietorship account. So just keep that in mind. Once again, important to consult with the tax professional. If you're a partnership or a partner in a partnership, usually partners have take some types of distributions or or maybe written into the agreement for the partnership. There is an area where, okay, where partner A gets paid, say, 40000 a year in guarantee payments. Now, these guarantee payments are a deduction for the partnership, but they're also taxed to the partner that's received them. And the partner that receives them pays self-employment tax on those. And so once again, it's important now as a partner in a partnership or an LLC, you cannot be on payroll. That's not my rule. That is the IRS rule. And too many times I have seen these entities taxed as partnerships, the partners of these being on payroll. And that's a, that's a big no-no. But they want to get a paycheck. Well, understandable. But you can't do that as long as you're taxed on the partnership tax return form. So then leads to the next question. Okay, I'm a business owner. And particularly, this is more so with LLCs, multi-person LLCs, is that what do I do then? Well, when individuals come and speak to me, I say, well, if you want to get a paycheck and not have to pay self-employment tax at the end of the year, what you need to do is we need to elect to be taxed as a corporation, either a C corporation or an S corporation. Then you as the partner or LLC member can be on the payroll. Now, when you go to be taxed as an S corporation or a C corporation, you want to make sure, and basically these what I'm about to say applies whether you're a C or an S, is that you got to make sure you maintain the distinction and the separateness between your corporation, and your individual account. You don't want to be putting any personal money in that business account at all. Only corporate money. Now, perhaps you need to make an additional contribution maybe to help the corporation. That could be like a contribution to the corporation that you're making. But you don't want to be taking, okay, well, I'm going to go pay my electric bill. I'm going to go make my car payment. I'm going to go do whatever this out of the corporate account. No, those are absolutely no-nos. You don't do that. Now, the way that you do that, legally get the money out, and the way that you should do it is by being on payroll. If you're the owner of the business, you need to take a reasonable salary. And there's actually a company that helps to determine what a reasonable salary is for owners of companies based on profession, based on area. That's what you need to be. And as an owner, or corporate shareholder. You want to have a reasonable salary because if you don't, that could trigger an audit and it could trigger tax due at a later date for you. As well as, of course, keep in mind that your salary is a deduction to the business, as well as you have the business making uh, contributions to uh, Social Security and Medicare on your behalf as well, that are also deductions for the business. So just some good once again, general information to help you as a business owner recognize that how you're paying yourself is vitally important and how you do it, depending on the type of, of business you are, so proprietorship, partnership, or corporation, how you do it 
depends on which one of those you are. And again, you need to consult with a tax professional to make sure that you're doing it correctly. And if you're not, fix it and get it fixed immediately. And I've talked a lot so far today and mentioned the the point about self-employment tax. What is self-employment tax? This is a this is well, this is exactly what it is. It's self-employment tax. When you're working for yourself, especially as a sole proprietor or a farmer or in a partnership, you're working for yourself and there's profit that comes from those businesses. Now, if you were a W-2 employee, of course, as you see on the check, they take out Medicare, they take out Social Security. Then, of course, the employer matches that. When you're self-employed as a sole proprietor, as a farmer or partner, you don't have that happening, but you have profit coming through the business. And thus, you have self-employment tax. So instead of paying just the the 7.65%, you're paying the 15%, all of it, both the employer, because you're the employer, and you're also like the employee. So you're paying all of that tax based on the profit of your business. Now, this is where I get really into uh, excitement and importance when I discuss with clients because many times farmers and self-employed people just say, well, I, w- I want to take all these expenses. I don't want to pay any tax. Well, and some tax preparers will say, okay, well, we can take this. We can write this off. We can do this or whatever the case may be. They'll just go and do it because that's what the client wants. But is that in the client's best interest? to have them not pay any tax at all? My answer to that question is no, it's not in the client's best interest. Well, why is that? Well, when you have a farmer or a sole sole proprietor who's been operating their business for, for 10 years or whatever, and if they've paid no tax or very little tax over 10 years, guess what? They could have several years on their social security record that they have not paid into social security. And that can have a huge effect on how much social security that you can receive. And so I sit down, I have this conversation with my clients and say, uh, we're going to take all legal expenses we can. And oftentimes what will affect on whether whether they have a profit or a loss is how much depreciation they take on items. That's often the, the area that can be adjusted. And I'll go through and I always go through and say, you know, we need to have some profit here. You need to pay the self-employment tax. You need to be getting these quarters for Social Security paid because you want to get your Social Security benefit, right? And they'll say, yeah. Well, if we don't do this, then your benefit's going to be reduced. And they'll look back at me and say, what? Nobody's explained this to me like this before. Well, yeah, they haven't. But I have this conversation because I am a tax professional and you need to pay this tax. Now, usually we're down low enough where they don't pay the regular income tax on the tax return. But yeah, we always try to make sure that they have some self-employment tax. Now, there could be years where, yes, you have a legitimate loss, maybe because expenses and so on, but we don't maximize out depreciation just because we can take all the depreciation. That's not always in the client's best interest. And so that's my whole goal here in answering these talks is making sure that you know that as a business, I do what's in your best interest as a tax professional, asking you questions, getting the information that you need. 
out there. So keep these points in mind. Now, as a self-employed person, there's a lot of expenses you have. There's far too many that I can go into here as far as what counts as a business expense. That's why I have uh, forms. I have organizers. I'll sit down and I go over, okay, well, you can take this expense. You can take this expense. Uh, when you go and travel, and I mentioned a little bit earlier about traveling, you, of course, you can take meals, you can take lodging, you can take education, everything that's associated with the travel. Uh, traveling is very very common. Well, not as common now because of the pandemic, but still some people are traveling around. And of course, you got airline tickets, you got hotel expenses, all these different areas. You can, you can take as a deduction, of course, along with other general expenses, like if you're advertising and maybe you're paying rent on a building, insurance, maybe interest, wages. There's a whole long list there that you can go into. Uh, but usually I sit down and have these discussions and we go right into it and we set up an accounting system that helps you to be able to track these as well. Of course, auto expenses are always a big one when you're looking at the expenses for a self-employed person. And I always tell people, you're using a personal vehicle for business. Hey, that's great. But once again, I emphasize, I can't emphasize enough. You need to have a mileage log. And even with third-party verification, which basically means, well, if you have someone who regularly changes your oil, or if you have uh, individuals who do regular repairs. Usually when they do those things, they take the mileage of the vehicle at the time. That's another third-party verification of the mileage on the vehicle. So it's good to have that because if you are going to do actual expenses and you're going to keep fuel receipts and other expenses for that vehicle, the mileage log substantiates the business use of the vehicle, and you can get the right percentage of expenses should you need to get those expenses. Now, there are some little bit different rules if you're in agriculture and farmer that we go over and talk about, but uh, in general, keeping a mileage log is a very, very strong and good idea. Some ask about adjusted gross income. Well, what's that? Well, this is a, a fancy word for saying this is the amount of income after certain adjustments. And after these above-the-line deductions are taken, then that's usually the number that they take the taxable income on. That's also the number that many people need when they try to do their own tax return uh, because it asks for that as part of the electronic filing process. Some of these adjustments, uh, there's a whole whole sheet of them on the, on the schedule that goes uh, with uh, the 1040. But some of these include like educator expenses, IRA deductions, student loan interest, and there's a whole whole list of them there that are detailed out on the form. And so once again, if you need some of these adjustments, once again, got to go over it with a tax professional just to make sure that you're getting the right ones and getting them all that you can. Interesting question here is how does depreciation differ from amortization? Don't get this one very much, but we talk about depreciation. I could do a whole program just on depreciation by itself, just because it is so broad. It has so many options to it. I mean, you consider you go and buy a piece of equipment or a building, and depending on the life, it has three, five, seven, 10, 15, 20, 39, or 27 and a half. Anyway, you got all those years that apply depending on what it is. And then some items, 
qualify for bonus depreciation. Some items qualifying for Section 179. Others you take straight line depreciation. What do you do? Well, as I tell people, it depends on the situation. I just don't take depreciation because you're required to take bonus. How often do I take bonus on product on uh, equipment? Very seldom as a tax professional because I look at what the taxpayer's situation is and what's the best for them now, as well as thinking into the future. Will they need this deduction in the future? Do they need it now more or do they need it in the future? In most cases, most clients need it in the future because they don't need any additional deductions now because what will happen is that if we take all of that, it's going to take them to a loss. And a loss isn't necessarily a good thing because, once again, as I talked about earlier, self-employment tax. They need to be paying their self-employment tax. Even if they have $10,000 of profit, you need to be paying the self-employment tax on it so you get your quarters. So then amortization, what is that? Well, there's these specific items over a fixed period of time. There's different code sections that you use depending on what you're having to do amortization-wise. But many times these are intangible assets. For example, like blue sky of a business. You pay $500,000 for a business and maybe $200,000 of it is equipment, another $100,000 is is some other things. But then the remaining amount, say $200,000 is just what they call blue sky, just the actual business part of it, which doesn't have any tangibleness to us, but yet it's, it's there and it's part of the value of the business, but it's not physical. And there's items like that that fall under amortization that you take, uh, for example, this, the blue sky, you take over 15 years, you take a certain amount over 15 years. And so that's the difference there, and like I say, just really depends, and usually it's your intangible assets that are amortized over time. Whereas depreciation, you have uh, certain options that you can do depending on what the lifetime of the asset is. Wow, and I've talked about this already some, but we'll just hit on it again. A large purchase, is there a benefit to taking over time or taking as one-time deduction? Once again, it depends. You spend $100,000 on a piece of farm equipment, a combine, a tractor, whatever the case may be, do I take that whole $100,000 that year? Now, their answer is, I don't know. What is the situation? Does How much does it benefit the client to do that? Till I see their circumstances and see all their tax return, I don't know. Now, if we know they have a large profit for the year, well, maybe maybe they better take, maybe it'd be good to take that or take a good portion of it. But most of the time we elect out a bonus because bonus doesn't give us any amount we can take. We have to take, take like the whole 100% of it. Where we elect out of the bonus and we do section 179, then we can select, okay, well, this year of this $100,000 piece of equipment, maybe we'll just take 20,000 because that's all we need for this year. And then we can take the rest over time. That way, we're utilizing, fully using tax code to our benefit there. And once again, that's all part of the planning process, which is why I really stress and really want to work with individuals who want to work year-round because these are decisions that we don't want to be making in December. These are decisions as we go through the year. We're January to June. We want to come together and be able to look at these items and go, 
let's see here. We want to be able to do this. Or what do we look think the second half of the year is going to be like? And then plan. Maybe make some estimated payments. Okay, well, maybe I'm going to need to make that purchase. Uh, I can start working on that and get that taken care of. So these are why it's so important to work year around, not just at tax time, not just uh, use someone who's there from January to April, but someone who's available year around that can answer your questions and is willing to meet with you through video conference and so on. That's why we want to do this. Now, keep in mind there's taxable, non-taxable income, touched on a little bit, but keep in mind taxable, of course, is usually wages, interest, dividends, flow through retirement income from like a pension plan or an IRA, uh, usually some type of government pensions. Most of those are all taxable in a manner. And usually non-taxable comes in for municipal bond interest, social security, usually, usually is not taxable. Now, because we're still in an amount in social security since 1986, for whether, whether you're single or married, file and joint, there's many people that I do that have social security become taxable. But if social security is your only source, then usually it's not going to be taxable. Child support, if you're an individual receiving child support, that's not considered taxable. Now, also, if you're receiving alimony based on a divorce decree that's dated January 1st, 2019 up to today, well, you can thank the Tax Cut Jobs Act for making that non-taxable. Pretty nice, isn't it? How about donations? I want to donate to my favorite charity. I want to donate to my place of worship. Well, those donations can be written off. It has to make sure it's an approved uh, nonprofit organization. The IRS, irs.gov has a place you can go and check it out if you have a question about a certain type of organization. Now, for 2021, keep in mind, we do have an above-the-line deduction of $300 if you're single or $600 if you're married filing joint. That's what you can take above the line. Now, to be able to take more than that, what do you need to do? Well, you must be able, you must be able to itemize your deductions as far as individual tax returns are taken to be able to use those. Now, that's a whole other discussion. How much do I need to itemize? Well, it depends on your filing status. And so that's where come in, talk to me, talk to a tax professional to find out what those what you need to do there. Now, some states like Colorado, if you don't itemize, they do allow you to still take charitable deductions above a certain amount. Like in Colorado, it's above $500. They allow you to take whatever you donated above $500 off of your Colorado taxable income. But it is vital if you're making donations to an organization, you must have an acknowledgement letter if you make a donation of $250 or more in a day. That is absolutely essential because people have lost so many times in tax court simply because they didn't have that letter of acknowledgement. And you need to have that letter of acknowledgement, I suggest, before you file the tax return. I always ask. They want to they want to do their best to get that. And they want to have it. Because I usually I won't file a tax return unless you have that letter of acknowledgement. So keep that in mind. These are just some of the questions that I have dealt with over the years and may still deal with this year. Now, just keep in mind that if you have advanced child tax credits that you have received through the year, those are not taxable, but you have to reconcile those on the tax return. And there's an additional form you're going to get in January saying you received this amount of, a, of advanced child tax credit, which will also, by the way, uh, 
reduce your federal uh, refund. Keep that in mind. So we certainly thank everyone. It's been a beautiful uh, program today. We're always wanting to discuss these questions because we want you to pay as little tax as possible. Year-round planning is essential. We want you to help set goals. We want to help you to reach those goals. Now, if you're concerned for your health, we have the option available for you to be able to do your tax return, not have to show up in the office, virtual meetings fully available to meet your needs, video interviews, uh, secure web portal, easily upload your documents, electronic signatures, all of that I provide because I recognize how important your health is to you and your safety is to you. So yes, you can definitely do all of that here with Cash Tracks Financial. Once again, I invite you to visit my wonderful, exciting new website, cashtracksfinancial.com. Lots of information there available for you. And then of course, any questions come up, Contact me, success at cashtracksfinancial.com. You can call me, 844-394-4287 and schedule your mutual exploration session. Yes, I work to make tax time less taxing. We certainly, again, thank you for listening today to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge on the Voice America business channel. Thank you for listening to the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. We'll be back again next Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more to share next week. 